This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 221 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. Philip Morgan. Howdy. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we're going to be talking about ideas for generating short-term cash or recurring revenue without saying yes to crappy projects or bottom feeding on Upwork, etc. Well so said. Did, some, did somebody get a question about this? I think this came up in, as like a side shoot of some previous conversation we were having about like, well, it was about cash flow, I, if I recall correctly. And like... If you don't have cash flow, you start making decisions a lot that yeah. a lot of us end up regretting later. And I think it came out of that. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it might have been something that happened in my coaching Slack from uh, an alumni. I keep all the alumni people in there, uh, and he had hit. Uh, I think a lot of people are familiar with the sort of feast famine cycle that seems to happen to everybody at some point or another. And he, uh, I don't think that was his exact question, but you know, you hear it from a lot of people. It's like, and it's happened to me in the past. So I, I figured it would be cool to bring up and maybe talk about some strategies to scare up some quick cash, because if you don't do that quickly, then like Philip said, you just can't get out of that death spiral. You can't feel like the high priced option, it's too scary to do value pricing, or it could be too scary to do value pricing. It's way too scary to say no to clients, even if they're throwing red flags. So I know there are a few things I've done or counsel people to do that have worked in the past to quickly scare up, you know, good amount of money, you know, a month or two months worth of money so that you can get back to being smart about your decisions. The first one, I think, probably sound obvious, but I find people forget to do it, which is to reach out to past clients and just check in with them and say, you know, hey, I've got uh, an opening in my calendar, something dropped out unexpectedly, and just wanted to see how you guys were doing, if there's anything I could do for you. And this has been uh, very effective for me and for other students and people I've recommended to do this, where they sort of, you know, just do that. And it turns out that People might have, you know, small pickup projects or fill in things or they need a little bit of staff augmentation, something like that. And it's not going to be anything to probably not going to be anything to write home about, you know, like a big project engagement that you can, you know, have a nice why conversation with them and value price and all this stuff that I'd like to recommend that people do. It's really just, you know, a survival technique and you just take what you can get and get through while you're waiting for more leads to come in through your normal pipeline, you know, where it's a more high value type stuff. You guys ever thought to do that or ever had to do that or reached out to past clients to scare up business? That used to be my go-to move when my pipeline would get thin. And like my, uh, what, what's funny to me thinking back about that is I would become aware that that was going to be a problem about three days before I, I needed the work. <laughs> like that, that's how far... I mean, I'm, I'm joking about how short-sighted I was. That, like, that's how far I would look into the future is like a week ahead. 
And then I'd be like, oh gosh, this project wraps up, uh, you know, the next week. Actually, I, I was billing hourly, so I never really knew when projects would wrap up, which isn't a byproduct of billing hourly. It's just, you know, uh, you, you would kind of see the revenue taper off. And then at a certain point, you'd be like, oh, I, I really could use another client right now. So that's, that's one of the go-to moves that I learned, you know, not through my own ingenuity, just somebody recommended it to me. And uh, it works. Uh, and, and if people aren't like able to supply you with work directly, they might refer you to somebody else because they've had a good experience working with you. So yeah, I, I've personally used that and seen it work. I guess the other comment that I have about that, I've recently had a batch of mentoring students come through via Brennan Dunn's DYFA program. And part of what I did was had people tell me about how they get work right now. And what I see is what I call the two R's, repeat business and referrals. So I see that a lot of people are already using this technique, not, not to dismiss it or say it's not useful, but just some people are already using this and already relying on this idea of just getting repeat work from previous clients. And there's, I mean, that's a viable way to, you know, build at least part of your business, right? But if you're not using it, it's, it's, I think it's a reminder to think if you could use that, that approach. Yeah, and I've had it work out too where I've gone to a past client and said, hey, I, you know, I, I basically said what Jonathan said to say. And then from there, it turned out that, oh, well, we don't need you right now, but I have a friend. <laughs> and that's worked out. So Yeah, and that was going to be my next piece of advice is if that first approach doesn't work, to ask for referrals through past clients or just your network of colleagues. So... I think the trick with this is to give them the tools to know who to refer you to. So you don't want to just send out a blast email to like everybody on your list and say, Hey, does anybody know anybody who needs a web developer? I feel like that's way too vague. So, you know, you, you want to say something more along the lines of, do you know any, you know, dentist, or do you know anybody who has a WordPress site, or do you know anybody who has a, an e-commerce store? Something that will trigger in the list an aha moment or a Rolodex moment, I usually call it. Like, oh yeah, I do know somebody who you know has an online store. They have a Shopify store, or they have a, a dentist office, or something. Some kind of like short-term. It's like positioning. It's like a little tiny piece of positioning that you give them to trigger a thought of like, oh yeah, I could introduce this person I trust to this person I know who fits the category of people that they're looking to work with. Because if you don't do that, then if I receive this email from you, this actually happened to me recently. Someone said, hey, I'm, I went solo, left my old job. Do you know anybody who needs, and then insert extremely broad general thing here. And I was like, you know, you got to throw me a bone. Like everybody I know might need that. But, you know, who's your ideal customer? Who's your ideal client or buyer? And, you know, and then the person would say, oh, you know, like a CTO of a, of a SaaS. And we're like, boom, instantly six people I know. So you got to give them some kind of trigger, or whatever you want to call it. Philip probably has better words for this, but you need to help them help you. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little in the last show we recorded which uh, you weren't here, Jonathan. There's, uh, I read this book, and I won't get into specifics about the book, but the guy introduced this concept of asking people to go fetch in a negative light. Like that's, you got to be careful about that. It's easy to 
to kind of take your understanding of the world, which is like you have this picture of who could hire you and you understand how versatile your skills are and how many different situations they could apply to. So you kind of generalize that into this picture of who could hire you. And then if you use that in this type of context of asking people to refer you, it actually asks them to go fetch a lot of things like, you know, it asks them to interpret your general definition of who's a good client. And so that's asking them to do work, which lowers the chance that they're actually going to do anything other than get back to you and say, sorry, man, can't, I can't think of anybody. So there's a couple of ways I think you can not ask people to go fetch and get a better result. Like Jonathan was saying, you know, come up with some kind of trigger phrase that's specific enough that like, you know, somebody with a WordPress website that, you know, sells products or somebody with a Shopify store that's complaining about their sales. Like those are probably in the ballpark of accurate, you know, specific enough kind of trigger phrases. The other thing you can do, and I think a lot of people never think to do this, but you can go to LinkedIn and do what's called a second degree search and see who the people you're connected to are connected to that might be good clients for you. And you can ask for an introduction by name. You can say, can you introduce me to, you know, Joe Smith at this company? As an early stage freelancer, that never occurred to me. That seemed so just aggressive and bold and like, why would you do that? Part of why you would do that is because you understand clearly who you can help. And the other reason is just to, so you're not asking that person to go fetch for you so that you're kind of doing all the hard parts and all they have to do is agree to make the intro, right? Yeah, exactly. Make it easy. Yep, definitely. So much more likely to happen. I was just going to say, I mean, people's minds work by association. And so, you know, they're not making the association good client for Chuck, right? Or good client for Jonathan. They're, you know, that's why you have to give them these kinds of filters, is so that, you know, then it's, oh, you know, uses Shopify, you know, or, you know, works for a company that does X, Y, and Z, or has problem Y, you know, and that, that lines things up for them, and it works along the same lines that their brain works on. And, you know, when I think about Jonathan, you know, I think about other podcast hosts that I talk to every week, or I think about, you know, some of the other things that he's told me about himself, about his kids, about his uh, significant other, you know, and all of these things that I know about Jonathan or that I know about his work. And so then if somebody comes to me and says, do you have any podcast hosts who are experts in mobile stuff? Then I make the connection. But, you know, if somebody comes to me and and just says, you know, do you have any co-hosts who are looking for contract work? I'm like, I don't know who's available. I get emails all the time from recruiters. Do you know anyone who's looking for a job? And it's like, oh, Maybe. (laughs) Everybody, everybody's looking for a better job. (laughs) Right? And so by making that connection, making it, yeah, making it easy, because I don't know, I guess I'm just reiterating the point that that's how our mind works, is that we, you know, we have all of these points and associations that we make between those points, you know, be it a concept of a job or a concept of family or concept of different things, you know. So if somebody said, do you know anybody who has a dog, you know, I know Phillips emailed us about his dog recently. So things like that. But if somebody was angling for an introduction to Philip and didn't mention anything that I know about him, I probably wouldn't make the connection myself. Yeah. I think you can't really emphasize that point enough that 
I mean, in, in marketing terms, the f- phrase for this is thinking like a fisherman and not thinking like a fish. You need to think in terms of how the people you're trying to reach see the world. And I think the best example is saying, do you know any of these five people? <laughs> or would you be willing to introduce me to any of these five people? You've already figured out that they know through their association on LinkedIn or whatever. The other thing to think about is the fact that their inbox probably looks a lot like yours and it's probably overwhelming and there's a lot of stuff that they mean to get to that they haven't. And so maybe instead of asking for a bunch of stuff at once, kind of break it up sequentially. So maybe your first email is just, hey, would you be willing to help me with an introduction? And if you get a yes to that, then you go to the next step. Those are all examples in my mind of thinking like a fish and not like a fisherman and, and thinking how you can you know make it easy for people. It's a very simple idea, but I think when you take it to the extreme, you start doing things differently and things start working more effectively. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too. I mean, this is essentially what I tell people when they start looking for a job is basically to identify the companies they want to work for and then identify people in those companies that can help them get the job. So yeah, by identifying specific people and then getting that warm introduction makes a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, just think about if you were going to hire someone to, I don't know, clean your house or do landscaping, you're immediately going to go look for recommendations. You know, it's like such a huge, or even a babysitter, Mm -hmm. you're just going to ask around. And that's the sort of inbound approach where, you know, I have a need, so I ask around, but you can do an outbound approach where you're the babysitter. And instead of saying to everybody, hey, do you know anybody that needs a babysitter? You say, hey, do you know anybody that has little kids under five? Mm -hmm. And it's going to trigger so much faster for me because I don't know who needs a babysitter, but I do know who has kids under five. And it's just it sounds so silly when you put it like that, because why wouldn't I automatically think, well, kids, you know, people who have kids under five might need a babysitter. But if the babysitter says it to me in that way, it's just it's too late. Like I already have five names in my head. I'm like, oh, yeah, I can think of a few people I could introduce you to. Yeah, it's it's a bridge too far to try to fish for the need. You're just fishing for the potential need. Mm-hmm. You said a bridge too far, and I was going to say it's an extra connection. It's that second leap that is the barrier. So it is more or less a bridge too far. Yeah, I saw a great sign the other day. Well, it was actually a bad sign, but I imagined what it could have been, which I think would have been a lot better. It was a store that fixed iPhone screens. And the sign said something like, you know, got a broken iPhone or whatever, you know, the, the obvious thing. What it should have said was, do you have teenagers? Because they're the ones that break the phones the most. Mm-hmm. And if I was driving by that sign, I don't have a broken iPhone and I don't have teenagers, but I know my brother does, has teenagers, that is. And it might actually stick in my mind enough to say, hey, Matt, do you guys ever break phones? He'd probably be like, yeah, all the time. I'd be like, oh, well, there's a store right by your house that fixes them. I don't know if you looked at it. You know, it's just, it's such a dramatic difference to just flip it around the other way. And this doesn't just apply to getting, you know, scaring up work quickly. It applies to everything. But uh, it's a technique that you can, I feel like it, I don't know, maybe Philip, Philip, what do you think? It feels a lot less risky to do it in this situation because it's not necessarily a huge identity change. It's just, you know, some emails you're sending out. You know, I'll probably pick this. But on that note, Jonathan, there's a, there's a fantastic two podcast episodes from this guy, I forget his name. I think it's Dean Jackson, one half of the I Love Marketing podcast duo. He talks about when you approach people, you need to have more cheese, less whiskers. So you don't you don't want to look like a cat who's like 
looking ready, <laughs> ready you know, preparing to pounce. Right. And so he gives us a great example of a restaurant that was doing cold outreach. And the normal approach would be or they were doing cold outreach to restaurants to try to sell them marketing services. So the normal approach would be, do you need help with your marketing? Right. And that's kind of the sign that you were talking about, Jonathan. You know, do you have a broken iPhone? Right. The approach he came up with was to reach out to these restaurants and say, could you accommodate a party of 10 this weekend for a birthday? And what he found out by doing this was that everybody in an organization like a restaurant is authorized to make more sales. And so he got a lot, got a lot more yeses to that first email. And then what followed from there was a sales pitch for marketing services that were around helping them get more birthday party customers coming in, mm-hmm. which are tend to be, I guess, pretty profitable because it's it's a big table and people are in a good mood. And so it was just it was a different initial approach. And and that's what I'm reminded of, Jonathan, when you talk about that sign. So for some forms of outreach, I think absolutely you're right on. It would be like, you know, do you have teenagers who have phones and do you wish that their phones lasted a little longer? Would be probably be a better approach than do you have a broken iPhone? For the sign, maybe I mean, who knows what would work better for this street signage, but, you know, for any kind of outreach, I think you're really onto something. Cool. So I guess that that probably brings us to the next thing. I've mentioned it a couple of times already, which is just straight up cold outreach, which I used to be very much against when it came to selling consulting services, but I've kind of come around in the last year or two because if you believe in what you do, if you believe that what you do offers value to your customers, and I think probably everyone, everyone who's taking money for their services probably does believe this if they think about it, but they don't think about it too often. But if you believe that you're delivering a good ROI to your customers, then it stands to reason that there are potential customers out there in the world who you've never met, who don't know you or don't know about your services, who are currently losing money they could be making by not working with you. I kind of draw the analogy of if you're walking down the street and you see someone with a broken leg and you're a doctor, you know, you're going to stop and say, hey, do you want some help with that broken leg? They're not going to be like, stop bothering me. If someone's in pain, they're not going to be ticked off that you emailed them to ask if they needed help. Because I'm imagining that a lot of people hear the idea of cold outreach and just think, oh, I'm, I'm not a spammer. I'm not going to do that. But it's not, it's really not spam if you're not spamming. You know, if you're just sending an email to a person, an email that you wrote to a person and you send it to that person, it's not spam. So if you can pick some ideal clients, maybe through LinkedIn or wherever, or just, you know, walking around your neighborhood, you say, all right, here's a bunch of clients who I could help. I, you know, uh, I'm a web designer. I noticed that this restaurant has a horrible website. I noticed that it's not that busy on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So maybe I can shoot an email and say, hey, have you noticed that um, a lot of people use smartphones and that you're not that busy? And maybe if we updated your site to be a little bit more friendly on phones, it could have a positive effect on your business or, you know, whatever the pitch is. And I just, uh, I feel like so many people are afraid to just email, call, knock on a door of a stranger that they miss out on a huge potential market. And if we're talking about scaring up fast money, I mean, this approach works. It definitely works. It might feel super awkward, but it, it definitely works. 
want to dive in with some, I've been having a conversation with Philip of five years ago <laughs> and want to tell you why he <laughs> found that. I mean, like he's, he's the guy who would have been like, uh, well, that sounds okay, but no, thanks. Not for me. <laughs> um, Part of it is this feeling, if you're a generalist, which is what I was, you know, three, five years ago, you're like, I don't know. I mean, who, who should I reach out to? So to answer that first question, my advice would be if you're in kind of a major metro area or even a mid-sized city, start geographically because that can kind of create an affinity, you know, like, hey, we're in the same city together. So that's an, a way of artificially restricting the scope of what you do. But if you don't do that, it'll be overwhelming. Because then it's like, well, it, it could be anybody. So maybe a sort of a temporary artificial geographic limit to your search. Or uh, just pick an industry where you have some kind of case study of previous success. And just temporarily limit yourself to that, focusing on that industry. When you do this kind of outreach that Jonathan's talking about. Those would be two ways to make something that is totally overwhelming, somewhat more manageable. And then I guess the third tip would be just to use that LinkedIn second degree search. So you're looking for people that you have some kind of connection with so that you could get an intro from them, which is kind of, you know, the, the previous technique that Jonathan was talking about, but sort of combining those two together. So I did one time do a kind of hybrid. I don't think it's fair to call it complete cold outreach, but, you know, I'm a web developer, especially focused on mobile and I thought, huh, I wonder if I went around and, you know, I, I have a whole bunch of colleagues, like hundreds, over maybe thousands even, that I'm connected to who I know, who I've worked with, who trust me from other, for other reasons, for other things I've done in the past, you know, just communities that I'm in. And I went through their websites and found all the ones that were failing Google's mobile friendliness test. And I sent out a bunch of emails and I had tons of opportunities. None of them closed quickly, as quickly as I would have thought, because I was reaching out to a group of developers who were all like, oh, well, yeah, we know we need to do that. and We're going to get around to it. Uh, so in that particular case, it didn't scare up quick cash, but it did turn into a bunch of yeses. So a bunch of people that were like, yeah, we, you know, we obviously we're not going to get around to this, you know, because six months later, they're still limping along with their desktop only website. And they're like, yeah, you know what? We're going to take you up on that. So it's not really cold outreach because they know you, but they're not past clients either. So if you're a member of communities like that and you can do it in a way that's not, you know, infringing on the rules of the group, like a lot of, say, Facebook groups or whatever, very anti-self-promotion and that kind of thing. So this would probably be something you could do over email and say, hey, all you people, I've never worked with you, but you know me and you trust me and I do this thing and I can see that you need this thing. So maybe we should jump on a phone call. That really forces me to say it's in my contract. So you got to follow up too. <laughs> if you're going to do this at all, don't just stop at one email. I mean, we had kind of yeah. a whole episode about that last time uh, with Kai uh, about cold outreach and follow up. Got to follow up. And there's tools to make that a lot easier. It is so true. Occasionally I'll have people that bite on the first email, but most of the time, yeah, it's the fourth or fifth. So friend of the show, Kurt Elster, had a technique that he used to really bootstrap his business, EtherCycle. When he first opened up shop, he wrote up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 100 handwritten letters, put them in envelopes, 
and just totally handwritten, no stamp or anything, and just went around and slid them under the doors of businesses that he wanted to have hire him or potentially start a relationship with. And he said it was wildly effective at uh, getting people to call him and setting up appointments and actually landing some business very quickly. That'd be a good one to, uh, I think he has a post about that. Perhaps we can link to in the show notes. I think that's interesting because it's something different, right? I mean, most people are used to the either the flyers that come in the mail, depending on the business they're in, or getting that email, right? And it's it's really easy to just kind of ignore them as junk, but to have something slid under your door or you know have something interesting show up that's not just a flyer, mm-hmm. yeah, it it something that's at least going to stand out. Right. So it's another kind of cold outreach, but I feel like it's, yeah, it's just so different that it's, it's going to raise somebody's eyebrows. So, uh, again, referencing last week's episode, we were talking with Kai and I joked about using a birthday cake as a way to do that. And, uh, that we recorded on Tuesday and then Wednesday I had for a dev shop marketing briefing, I had Jake Jorgovan, uh, give a presentation to folks from my list about outbound marketing and I was like, Jake, what are some of the more creative ways you've seen people do this? And he lists a couple things and he lists birthday cake. And I said, no way. Are you kidding me? And he said, yeah. They did a campaign where they sent birthday cakes to some very tightly screened, you know, potentially very awesome clients. And the cake had a URL on it <laughs> that pointed them to a website, had a landing <laughs> page with like a video. Hey, I guess you got the cake. Uh, here's why we're reaching out to you. That kind of thing. And he said it was uh, quite effective in getting some meetings. So, you know, if you're short on cash, that that may be a little expensive way to, to do things. It just, it, to me, it just points out the the power of being clear about who could really benefit from your services. Yeah, physical mail is great. You can be very creative, I think, without being creepy and, and really make an impact on people in, in the way that Jonathan's talking about. One other way that I've done some of this is just on the podcasts. You know, I've gotten up and said, hey, I've got some availability. So if you already have an email list or a following in some other way, a blog, YouTube, whatever, and you have a way of just letting them know that you have availability, a lot of times that works out well where they're used to hearing from you. They consider you to be an expert and they're willing to take a chance on you. My first, uh, I don't know if, it was my first successful use of online marketing was when I was transitioning into going solo, I, I put an ad on Reddit. And when I say an ad, I don't mean an ad I paid for. I just put a post on Reddit and kind of described what I could do and my approach and got some work out of it. Hacker News has a, I guess we're getting a little bit away from short-term cash. Hacker News has a, you know, you can post a job posting or not a job posting, but you can post about yourself like one day a month. They allow that. So there's other online venues that may, I know we're getting a little closer to something that is potentially bottom feeding type stuff, but I think there's certain online venues that might be a little more specialized where you could post that you have availability and that might be something to consider. If you know where people congregate, then yeah, definitely. If they're the people that you want to serve and you know that some of them are likely to have the pain you can solve. Yeah. I heard one since we're sort of flirting with the bottom feeder thing, like I'm not going to go all the way down to, you know, Craigslist or Upwork or anything like that. But I did a coaching session with someone the other day and, and I asked a similar question to Philip, like, you know, how do you get your work now? And he had a novel answer that he said was very effective for him at getting 
good work, not junk work, which was that he would do Twitter searches for people who were looking for developers who do what he does. On Twitter, he'd do a search for, it was something like, anybody know an R developer? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I just tested this out. I was like, oh, I wonder how well this would work. And, you know, I went, oh, does anybody need a JavaScript developer? And sure enough, you know, five or 10 people looking for JavaScript developers popped up like right now, people looking right now for JavaScript developers popped up and you can click on through to their profile and see roughly the size of their business or if it's the kind of business you want to work with. And it's the only way I've ever come across that seems like an effective way to immediately find someone who's in need of your horizontal specialty. This is the problem with having a horizontal specialty like, you know, I'm a Node.js developer or something like that, is that you never know when someone needs you. There's no obvious outreach signal until I heard this. I'm like, oh, this is fairly reasonable to imagine someone jumping on Twitter and asking their followers if they know a good developer that does this thing. And so if you find somebody who's looking for that, then boom. And, you know, bonus points if you have mutual connections in your, in your followers. But I thought it was kind of interesting. It's super interesting. I'm trying to think if I have ever, again, back, you know, three, five years ago, I I tried a couple times looking at job listings, like for FTE jobs and saying, hey, would you rather hire somebody who has more flexibility and it costs scales up and down based on your need for their services, basically trying to upsell them or, you know, side sell them (laughs) on hiring uh, a freelancer instead of an FTE and never was able to get that to work. I don't have a ton of data points, but just under the category of things that maybe seem like good ideas that I've never been able to get work, that's that's definitely one of them. Seems like if someone wants an FTE, they want an FTE. <laughs> they yeah. don't yeah. really, they're not willing to think outside the box for a freelancer. Or the person might not even have the authority to make that decision. So that's probably more likely it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've been talking a lot about just, you know, finding that next client or that next contract quickly when we absolutely need to. But are there other ways to make money that aren't finding that next contract? That we I'm can, glad you asked. <laughs> that we can go too fast? Yeah. Yeah. So this is one, if you have existing clients, but the cash flow, uh, for whatever reason, you're not meeting your cash flow needs. And you will not hear me utter these words very often. This is one of the few times I will utter these words. You can offer them a discount and say uh, for prepayment, it's pretty much the only thing I'll ever offer a discount for, which is that, and I've done this on a couple of occasions where I've got a real good long-term client who's been paying me well on a monthly basis, like clockwork. And I'll say, Hey, you know, I've got a big expense coming up. It would save me a lot of trouble if you guys could pay me in advance for the next six months. And in exchange for that, I'll give you a healthy discount, which moves the payment way forward into my dead zone of cash flow or my too low zone of cash flow. And obviously I make less money in the overall term, but there's the time value of money. It's like you, you need the money when you need the money. You don't necessarily, it might be too late six months from now. And I find that it's kind of like, when you're having a famine cycle and you're going through all the complexity that it entails, it reminds me of a situation where you are running your car engine with no oil. So it's like it's 
more expensive to run your car engine with no oil because it's damaging the engine. And the same exact thing happens when you don't have sort of lubricant in your business, which is you're racking a credit card debt, which increases the amount of money you know that you're paying in interest. You're bouncing checks. You're spending a lot of time moving money around between accounts to cover expenses that are coming up and like, oh, when's my cell phone bill going to hit? Oh, I, and you end up spending all of this time. It reminds me of, you know, like, I know I've got no oil in the car, so I'm going to shut the engine off while I'm going downhill. And then you, you end up with all these strategies that help you run the car with no oil. But and it's a whole it's, lot more work. Oh, it's so much more work. It's so much easier when you just have like a pile of money sitting. You never have to worry about it. You know, if you've got six months of runway in your bank accounts, it's just so much cheaper. It's literally cheaper in the long run. Plus, it's so much easier and the stress and all of that stuff. So even though, you know, in a situation where I say to the retainer client, hey, instead of monthly, how about I give you, you know, 15 percent off if you pay for six months in advance? And they know, you know, they already trust me. They already know they're going to keep me through the end of the year anyway. So they're like, yeah, sure. Let me let me run it up the flagpole and see if we've got the cash flow. It's, you know, they got the cash to do it. And they'll, you know, it's, it, I've done it on a number of occasions. They're like, yep. And they'll send you a check for a lot of money. You know, it's a lot of money. And you need, of course, then you need to manage it carefully. But at least you're through, you've got your oil. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to have those like coasting with the engine off strategies. Jonathan, have you ever had any success getting paid a little earlier or maybe significantly earlier to, oh, you can book this as an expense this tax year versus next? Or does that get a little bit too tricky to pull off? I've never done that. I've seen people do that, but I've never done it. I have had people approach me about it, clients saying, hey, would it be okay if we paid you on December 27th? Mm-hmm. Instead of nor- on a normal like January 4th or whatever it's supposed to be. And that's right. fine, but that's not that's not. Yeah, I, I haven't done it as a strategy. It just occurred to me that a lot of people listening are probably billing by the hour. For shame. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the way that you can pull off this same thing is to say, hey, you know, how about I sell you a block of 80 hours? You know we're going to be working on this project for the next three months at least. How about I sell you a block where you pay me in advance for 80 hours or whatever, and I'll give you 15% off the overall. You don't need to have like a retainer client, I think, to pull this off. Yeah, it's funny, this strategy, I just barely did it with one of my sponsors. And they basically said, yeah, well, we only have this much budget for this quarter. And I said, fine, done. So, you know, mm-hmm. worked that out. But yeah, it was. It's people will work with you if you bring it up and present it to them in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yep, and I don't think it devalues your... It, it probably, using the word discount scares me. I don't like it. It devalues the work. It makes people think about the wrong things. But if you've got an ongoing relationship with somebody and, you, and it's clearly beneficial to both parties and it's understandable why, then I think it's a decent strategy for, or a decent tactic for situations when you find yourself out of oil. So beside getting prepayment or finding new clients, I mean, does it make sense to try and create a product and try and sell it or anything like that? It seems like some of the ideas that are coming into my head for those take a little bit of time as far as like, you know, it's not something that I could probably launch today and make the money I need tomorrow. Yeah, you'd need to have an audience and an email list and all of that sort of thing and do a pre-sale or pre-order. And it, I mean, if you have that, then great. Jeez, I can think of a bunch of people, including Kai from last week, and just a lot of people that just say like, 
just throw something on Gumroad and say, hey, half price pre-sale, it's going to be this, it's going to be that. And once it's launched, the price is going to double permanently, that sort of thing. Nick D just did this. He's pre-selling a book. So you could do that, but no one's going to buy it unless you already have some kind of sophisticated things in place. You know, I've got something that might be a fit there. This comes up with my mentoring students who are uh, typically doing quite a bit of deep market research to get to this point. But it may be that some people are at this point just because of their experience. A lot of, uh, I mean, a lot, my, my, my mentoring program is quite small, so we're talking about small numbers here, but a, a fair portion of them develop what I have started to kind of been forced to call a microservice because I don't know of any other word for it. But it's something like, similar to Brennan Dunn's road mapping concept, similar to just any kind of service that could be sold standalone without incurring a, any kind of long-term obligation. And it delivers you know, substantial value with not a lot of delivery cost on the freelancer side of things. So we're talking about things like audits. Like I'll give some specific examples. Like if, if you had some expertise with, say, AWS, you could do a cost control audit and, you know, come in and take a look at someone's AWS installation, make sure that they're doing everything they can to control cost, right? Like something like that has a lot shorter lead time for selling it. It doesn't require, it requires some trust to make the sale, but it doesn't require as much as, oh, we're going to pay you, you know, $150,000 to develop a piece of software. And the profit can be high, especially if you get better at delivering these things over time. So that may be a product-like thing that, you know, some of the folks listening could develop and use as a way to kind of fill in those weak cash flow spots, some kind of microservice. You'd sell it in one of the ways that we've already discussed. But again, it might be a kind of a move away from just buy my time towards, you know, buy this thing that's well-defined, that has real value, that is also happens to be pretty profitable for me to, to deliver to you. Mm, yep. Yeah, that's a great point. I can think of a number of people, students and otherwise, who have spun up a productized service and had sales within the first month using just standard cold outreach and networking because the thing is so defined that it's easy for people, potential customers and word of mouth people to identify quickly if it's of any interest to them or someone they know. But like you said, for it to work, you need a little bit of sophistication, but it's a great thing to do. You do. The one thing I can maybe recommend that doesn't require some kind of research or the type of experience that means you probably won't be in this situation of needing short-term cash, the one thing I can recommend is that most people are bundling something with their services that they could unbundle and sell separately. And that tends to be usually an easy candidate for this kind of you know microservice, productized service, roadmapping, whatever you want to call it. That's the pattern I notice that that tends to work the most reliably is unbundle something that has value, but you've been essentially bundling it with something else or giving it away for free. Maybe start there. Jonathan, right. what patterns have you seen with uh, successful microservices, productized services, et cetera? Roadmaps are a big one. A marketing roadmap is one that I've seen work very quickly where somebody is just overwhelmed with all of the, the marketing options they have for their business. And, you know, the freelancer is a marketer. And instead of 
saying, you know, hey, does your restaurant need marketing services? You say something more along the lines of, are you unsure whether or not your marketing's working or are you losing money on your marketing or are you wasting time on marketing activities that aren't delivering any results? And maybe you could just focus on a couple instead of being overwhelmed by the, you know, two dozen options that you have and coming up with, you know, for maybe 900 bucks, I'm going to sit down and talk with the owner. I'm going to go through your website. I'm going to go through all of the existing marketing materials and I'm going to ask you what your goals are, what your challenges are, and I'll come up with a marketing roadmap that will give you exactly, these are the three things you should focus on. These 10 things are okay, but they're not going to be huge wins for you. So focus on these three things and you can do it like this and this and this, and you can get as detailed as you want in the, the roadmap itself. And then almost certainly they're going to say, okay, great. We like this. And they're going to ask you for a price for you to do it for them. Another one that I've seen is setting up continuous integration for people. Another one I've seen is, you know, for like startups or dev teams where they're sort of running so fast that they don't have time to really set it up. Uh, and nobody really wants to do it. It's not like you're going to come in and do their iOS or web development for them. That's the stuff they want to do. No one really wants to set up continuous integration servers and that sort of thing. It's just not fun. It's the kind of thing you do once and pretty much forget about. So it's the kind of thing that you could do as a service. Another one is database performance checkups, mobile site teardown. So you could do a site teardown for like, you know, here are the 10 things you should change about your site to make it more mobile friendly. That's one I used to offer. You could do it. You know, these are things that your developers can do in one day that will make your site drastically more friendly on, you know, finger friendly on mobile devices. So these little things, like Philip said, these are, these are things that people probably do as the first few steps of any implementation project, but they sort of give them away for free air quotes. It's not really free because you're probably getting paid by the hour to do it, but they are much more high value than the implementation part. So you can break them off and optimize the delivery of them so that your profits increase over time. But anyway, it's something you're probably already have expertise at and something that you could break off and fix price at, you know, I don't know, anywhere from 900 to $1,500. I guess it depends on the, depends on the thing and it depends on the industry, but it needs to be kind of a, it needs to be kind of an impulse purchase for your customers. You want it priced at that sort of impulse purchase level where they could just put it on like a petty cash credit card or something like that. They don't need a lot of approval and you know, they get their answers and then perhaps they move forward with you with the implementations or at least ask you for a proposal. I didn't mean to get on my productized service soapbox, but I guess I did. <laughs> Shame on you. No, but that, I mean, they, I think that's the sort of bridge from I'm a generalist. I bill hourly and Holy crap. I'm going to have to move in with my, you know, sister-in-law, if, if this continues, it's like, it's a very, really viable incremental step out of that situation into something that, you know, where you're more in charge of your business. So I, th I think it's yeah. super on topic. Well, and it also moves you out of the hourly billing into the product building. And so it, it right. clears up a couple of things for you that, you know, make it hard sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to reiterate that a lot of these options that you have, you have much better options if you've been doing a lot of the right things beforehand. 
I mean, most of the time when I wound up in this situation, it's because I wasn't marketing for a while. But at the same time, because I've been involved in the programming community around here, and I've been involved in some online communities, or because of the podcasts, or some of the other things that, that I've been involved in, it makes it a whole lot easier to have more people to go to to take advantage of some of these strategies. And so I, I just want to put it out there that you know, A, don't let your marketing slack off. And B, make sure that you're going out and meeting people and, and keeping these options open and available so that when something does happen, you have the widest possible group of people to go to who actually know who you are and trust you to do what you need to get done. And that way, when you're scrambling like this, it's that much easier to actually find work. Yeah, I mean, breaking out of the feast famine cycle is the real solution. But, you know, how do you, when your rent's due... Yep, sometimes you're just there, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, should we do some picks then? Philip, what are your picks? I got some picks, uh, three picks. We were talking a little bit about referrals, and I've got to recommend an Alan Weiss book here at this point called Million Dollar Referrals. It's, uh, I'm sure there are others out there, I just haven't come across them, but this one does, I think, a really good job of exploring you know, how is it that you move away from a referral being just something that happens to you and move towards actually encouraging referrals and having some, some kind of system for making them happen? It's a good book. I mean, like all of Alan's books, it has some overlap with all of his other books, but uh, it's a good book. And I, that, I think that's a good pick for people who are interested in getting more out of those two big R's that I see so prevalently in freelancer businesses. And I don't say that with any kind of negativity. I just mean most people are like so reliant on referrals and repeat business. And that's fine. I want to see people add a third leg to that stool, which is something they control. But to an extent, that can be referrals. The second pick is that podcast, which I've seen show up. There's like a short form version that I'll link people to on Duct Tape Marketing's blog and a, and a longer version on, on an episode of I Love Marketing. But the idea is that, you know, when you reach out to people, you probably have a lot of uh, whiskers in your outreach that you don't realize are there. And if you just think about it from the perspective of how can you take away the whiskers and add a little more cheese, your outreach will probably become a lot more effective. So I'm just going to refer people to those two blog posts where that concept is explained really well. And then the third pick is a SaaS called replyapp.io. It's used to automate email outreach. and if your back's against the wall and you need some work, you probably need to be doing email outreach manually. But at a certain point, you may see that it's so effective that you want a tool to automate it. And there's a whole f sort of family of tools that do this. They all have sort of different strengths and weaknesses. But Reply App is a good one to start with because it's got a free plan that's actually useful. So for free, you can reach out to 50 contacts a month and Reply App will automate a outreach sequence. Beyond that, you have to pay but it's a nice way to sort of test the waters in terms of doing something that I know is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but can be super effective. So that's my third pick, and that's it for this week. All right, Jonathan, what are your picks? I've got one, which is Blair N's prospecting email. Blair N's from winwithoutpitching.com. He's got a great prospecting email that you could use in Reply App to reach out to whoever you're prospect to, whether it's people you know, people you've worked with, or people who have never even heard of you. So 
I don't know if it's not worth really going through here, but if you go to um, winwithoutpitching.com slash prospecting by email, put it in the show notes. It's a great template to start out for that. If you don't know what to write, it's a great starting point for you. I guess I have one other pick. As we're recording this, it'll be tomorrow, so I haven't done it yet. But by the time you hear this, I'll have a new webcast up called The Hourly Trap, which will speak to some of this, you know, migrating out of this feast famine cycle. So you don't have to be scrambling for short-term cash. And it's in that video that you will see, I go into the mechanics of why value pricing works and why hourly billing really doesn't work, or it can be made to work, but why it encourages bad things to happen. So uh, that might be of interest. All right. I've got a couple of picks the first one is Freelance Remote Conf, which was this last February. Uh, the videos are up. If you want to get them, go to devchat.tv slash conferences, and you can click on the link there. You can get an after-the-fact ticket. It was a really excellent conference, a lot of great information. I'll just put a link to the actual conference in the show notes where I've got the page up. But yeah, you can just buy a ticket and watch them off of the devchat.tv website. I'm also putting on some other conferences, so you can check those out. Yeah, most of the other stuff I'm doing is focused around new programmers finding jobs, which isn't really this market. But if you know somebody who's a new programmer or bootcamp grad, you send them over to devchat.tv slash webinars and see what I've got going on there. And then I guess my final pick is I found a plugin for Slack that allows you to do Hangouts. So you just do a slash Hangout, and then it opens up Hangouts. And once you start the Hangout, then it posts it to the channel that you're in or to the the chat you're in if it's just you know you and one other person and it's really handy i've been doing some meetings and stuff that way and i'm digging it so yeah so the google hangouts plugin for slack is my other pick and i guess we're done so we'll go ahead and wrap this up and we'll catch you all next week bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.